turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. You know, it's a principle that when you invest with God, God brings more opportunities in your life and you grow. And when you do not invest in God in time, you lose what you had and you fall away. That's Pastor Michael Oxenteco, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Today's message with Pastor Michael Oxentenko is entitled Pounds of Purpose. That's Pounds of Purpose, and you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Before we get started, we want you to know that we believe here at Reaching Your Heart that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us at any time, day or night, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxenteco. Now that's exactly what the Jews did when Archelaus wanted to reign in place of his father, King Herod. They sent a delegation to Rome to stop it. And as a result, he only got part of the kingdom. When he got home, you can bet he was pretty mad at that delegation. So there is context in what Jesus is saying here. In the broader sense, the delegation represents a rebellion in the Christian church in the Middle Ages that misused the wealth and assets of the Christian faith for personal gain. Which means Christ predicted there'd be a corrupt church between his departure and his return. Now the word translated pound here in the text of Luke 19 is the word mina in Greek. And many translations will just say mina. The Revised Standard Version says pound because it wants you to have an understanding of what the word means. And mina was about 100 drachmas or 1 60th of a talent of gold. A talent was about 20 to 40 kilograms of gold. 30 kilograms is about 66 pounds. So a mina or pound here was about a pound of gold. How many of you like to have a pound of gold? Sure you would. Now, 16 ounces of gold in a pound, let's just say at $1,500 an ounce, translates into about $24,000, one pound. So in the parable, the nobleman gave his servants 10 pounds Now, that's a huge amount, really, of about a quarter of a million dollars. Notice that he didn't give them nine pounds. He didn't give them 11 pounds. How many pounds did he give them? Ten. Now, what's the number ten famous for in the Bible? The Ten Commandments. So ten pounds represents the riches of his law made effectual by the cross as the renewal of the Ten Commandments in the new covenant experience of the Christian church. He writes the law on the heart so we can get busy for God, doing things for God with the right attitude in our life. Ten pounds. Christ came to fulfill the law, not by doing away with the law. Christ came to seek and to save the lost. So the nobleman gave them ten pounds because of God's grace. Friend, When you invest in God's will in your life, which the 10 pounds represent, you will have a return that is sure in your life. God has given every believer a large investment from heaven's treasury to save the lost. 
Now, the misuse of the 10 pounds represents the rebellion against God's law and the rebellion against the one who came to seek and save the lost. And that happened in the Middle Ages. The little horn would think to change times and law in Daniel 7, 25. The Sabbath was attacked in the 6th century. The bishops of the church met in the 4th century and chose to violate it to determine that by the power of the church, the fourth commandment could be altered. And so the very law of God that Christ had given at Sinai, self-appointed fathers of the church said, we will change the moral law of God at the Council of Laodicea, fourth century. Then in the sixth century, Council of Orleans, 538, universal law, east and west, forbidding the keeping of the fourth commandment as God had commanded in Scripture. I mean, the book of Daniel is interacting with exactly what Jesus is talking about here. The history of the Christian church toward the advent. The church of the Middle Ages did not value the Ten Commandments of God, the ten pounds of purpose given to them, the new covenant opportunity to change lives in the world. And so the little horn removed them. And what did God do? At the end of the Middle Ages, God removes the little horn from religio-political power in the year 1798. He comes down. He's taken out of power by Jesus Christ. Daniel 7.25 describes the assault of the Middle Ages. He, the horn, shall speak words against the Most High, shall wear out the saints of the Most High. And what would he do? Think to change times and law. The Sabbath and other aspects of God's Ten Commandment law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, two times, and half a time. Now, Christ had a ministry. Does anybody know how long Christ's ministry was? Three and a half years. Now, this is three and a half prophetic years. So this power, this horn that looks like a man, is not the Son of Man. It is an antichrist power that attacks all that Jesus set up by his death, burial, and resurrection, and what he spoke at Sinai. So a huge apostasy occurs in the Middle Ages. The Apostle Paul predicted the same thing in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day, meaning the Lord's coming, will not come unless the rebellion, in the Greek, the apostasia, the falling away, comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Quoting Daniel 7 and Daniel 11 here, he's talking about the same power. So the parable says in Luke 19, 14, that the citizens hated him, and they said, we do not want him to rule over us. So in the book of Daniel, the prophet Daniel predicted that a rebellion in the church would try to change the law of God. You know, we're living in a time where people want Christianity back in this country. Friend, we're not going to get Christianity in the right way in this country if we pick and choose which one of the Ten Commandments is valid. Because if we break one, we break them all. So Paul called that same little horn power the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians 2. So in the parable, those who receive the ten pounds are citizens that rebel and do not appreciate the ten pounds. The law of God is not a liability for the Christian church. And some people say, well, you know, if we just didn't have to talk about the Sabbath so much, just Jesus. You ever hear that? <laughs> I mean, you have, haven't you? That's foolish talk because Jesus says the 10 pounds matter. If you talk about the Sabbath in the right way, guess who you're talking about? The Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus Christ. And it becomes a mighty asset to reveal who Jesus is as the creator and savior of the world. Most Christians don't realize, and this is not the purpose of this study, that the Sabbath in the covenant structure of Scripture 
is the sign of the everlasting covenant that came from eternity and was ratified at the cross of Christ by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the covenant sign from Genesis to the end. And it will be an issue in end-time prophecy. In verse 15, the nobleman returns and he calls these citizens to accountability for disregarding the privilege of investing his 10 pounds. Luke 19, 15. When he returned, having received his kingdom, he commanded these servants to whom he had given the money be called to him that he might know what they had gained by trading. Now that's an investigative judgment. And notice the purpose here is to see how they used the pounds of purpose that he had granted them. Upon his return, the nobleman king requires a return on his investment. The lesson is clear. The ten pounds belong to the nobleman. Friend, we are stewards of what the nobleman has given us for the cause of God. We don't own a single thing, really. Charles Schwab, great investor, once wrote this. The man who had done his best has done everything. Serving God with a whole heart makes all the difference in the church and the world. It'll make all the difference in your family too. In the church, the person who uses their resources with a good attitude will be a person who earns a good return for God. It's that basic. There's not complicated stuff here. The person who values the truth that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, and they realize that they're one of those lost people he came to seek and save. That person will realize that Jesus saw something in them that was worth risking eternity for. They will see their own worth in the light of the cross. And then they will realize that they themselves must live like Christ in this world. And the person who believes that Jesus really loves them will act upon their faith. They will invest in his or her resources and in money and the like. Effort, time in the church for the cause of God on earth. Am I right? Am I right on that? I mean, what else would the Lord call us to do? The response of the different citizens at the nobleman's return begins in Luke 19, 16. The first came before him saying, Lord, your pound has made 10 pounds more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little. You shall have authority over 10 cities. Notice he doesn't say you have been faithful with a lot. The nobleman didn't put the whole kingdom in his hands. He gave him one pound, that's all. But because he was faithful in that one pound, he became a ruler over ten cities. The return is the future in which the nobleman transforms the servant's status from an employee into a fellow sovereign. So by using the gift right, he becomes himself an extension of the royal sovereignty of the king and the nobleman. Because he can trust the servant, he gives the servant a share in his kingdom and glory. That's the real return here. Verse 18, the second came saying, Lord, your pound has made five pounds. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Now, so far, everything is good. The first two doubled their investment. The first doubled it, one to 10. The second got more as well. We see here five, not as much, but nonetheless a return. And this represents a great return. It's a great investment when you can do that. The third interview is a little less fortunate. Look at verse 20. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your pound, which I kept laid away. And what's the word in the English Bible there? In a napkin. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. And you take what you do not lay down and reap what you do not sow. Now all three agreed that the pound mattered here. And all three greet the returning nobleman by calling him Lord. 
And the third one is no exception. He says, Lord, but just because you call Jesus Lord doesn't mean he is your Lord. And then he adds this, that which I have laid away in a napkin. He talks about himself a lot and the napkin. Now, I looked up this word napkin in the Greek language. You know what it is? It's a nose cloth. Isn't that a crazy picture to insert in here? That's what it is. You ever get a handkerchief, you know? He took the pound the king had given him. He put it in his nose cloth, stuck in his pocket, carried around. You get the picture? He showed disrespect for the gift. He acts like the nobleman doesn't care here. It's a messy piece of money he hands back in verse 21. He said, for I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take up what you did not lay down and reap what you do not sow. The man who would not invest the nobleman's talent accuses the nobleman of theft or opportunism that takes advantage of others. He acts like he's a bad king now. And so he doesn't realize that he invested in him to make a difference in his life. He then shows them that he was concerned for them, that they might grow the pound and bear fruit. And he's disappointed that this guy doesn't get it. The 10-pound investment was not a burden, but an asset. And yet the unfaithful servant treated it as a burden. I've been in the church long enough to hear people sometimes talk about tithes and offerings negatively. I don't talk about those much from the front. But I get a good sense of a person's walk with God as to how they view it. You know, the tithe, the 10% of our increase is God's. It's not even ours. We are to return it. But I hear people speaking of it as if it's theirs. And then that part which defines our liberality is what we do beyond the tithe, what we give from hearts that are grateful to God. And I hear people saying sometimes, well, I'll never make it if I return the tithe to God and I give offerings to support the church. And friend, the truth is you won't make it unless you do. You will fail to make it unless you follow God's word. You know, the church isn't perfect, but it's structured in such a way that it survives based on the obedience of God's people. And God has a way of bringing miracles into our personal lives and miracles into the church if we are obedient to him. Dear heart, God has called you as a Christian to use your pounds for the purpose of his glory, to believe that your little can grow into much for his glory, to be humble enough to know that he hasn't given you the whole kingdom, but he has given you enough to make a difference in the world you live. Your part matters. And what you do with your talent, friend, determines what he will do with you in the judgment day. If you invest in it as he has commanded you, even that little that you might have, you may not be a multi-talented person, but you are faithful. There will be a return for you. But friend, if you are not faithful, there will be no return. We are living before the coming of Christ and there must be repentance in the remnant church on this very point. Friend, if you keep what is God's and you hide it in a dirty napkin, the outcome of Luke 19.22 is for you. And he said to him, I will condemn you out of your own mouth, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money into the bank? And at my coming, I should have collected it with interest. There are people in the church who can only make a difference by returning a faithful tithe and a small offering because that's all they can do. Friend, God knows that. And it's just as important to him as someone who can do more. In some ways, it's more important because the person with little who is faithful is the person who God will bless the church with in ways that they don't even realize. 
I think of the lady who threw her offering into the treasury and it was all she had. How many offerings have been given to God because of her example? So the person who invests in the most unattractive ways is still investing. But the wicked servant here didn't do anything with his pound. He would not risk anything, and so he made nothing. More with Pastor Michael Loxentenko in just a moment. Studying the Bible is vital to our lives, and we would like to help you in that process by providing you free Bible study guides. These full-color Bible study guides are available for you right now if you dial this telephone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. We would love for you to call and get your copy of these free Bible study guides at any time. That's 888-244-4673. Now more with Pastor Michael Oxentenko. It's a principle that when you invest with God, God brings more opportunities in your life and you grow. And when you do not invest in God in time, you lose what you had and you fall away. Luke 19, 24. And he said to those who stood by, take the pound from him and give it to him who has the 10 pounds. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 pounds. That's not social justice. But look what he says in verse 26. I tell you, that to everyone who has more, will more be given. Why? Because the Lord is an entrepreneur investor. But from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Friend, God doesn't feel bad investing in people who will do something with his resources. Are you that person? Or are you the wicked servant? He doesn't feel bad giving more resources and making dramatic miracles occur in lives that will use it for the glory of God. That's good business spiritually, and Jesus is a good businessman. And then the ultimate outcome is given to the rebels who tried to prevent him from being king, Luke 19, 27. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them before me. Friend, Jesus is returning for every person who wants to invest in the right way, and they're not going to die. They're going to live forever. The Lord wants to see the pound of purpose worked out in your life and mine to his glory. You know, years ago, I got in over my head as a senior pastor in my first district. We started a building project in the midst of a congregation that was in a death spiral. It had been in existence for so many years. It was not a purpose-driven evangelistic church in its mentality. We needed God's grace. So we left our old church, and we went to the new site, and we started worshiping in a gym. The heater went out in the middle of the winter. I mean, it was hard. It was difficult. And that's where God's glory started working in our lives. We started evangelizing when the church itself needed to be evangelized. I remember coming to the end of the thing, and we were over a quarter of a million dollars beyond what we could do to finish this building. These government agencies, sometimes they surprise you with this and that, and boom, you're in trouble. The building was over half up, and I invited my conference president to come by and see the new church building that would never go up unless he bailed me out or fired me. I don't know what he's going to do. He came by. And I was nervous. This was my first pastorate. And when he saw the thing, he started smiling. He got excited. It took his breath away. And he looked at me and he said, it's time for the Lord to intervene. God will see that this thing happens, Mike. And he went back to the church's banking fund and made it happen because of faith. I didn't get fired. I got help. From my godly conference president, I learned how to treat people 
who take risks because of how he treated me, I started treating them the same way. You know, if I see someone in the church who's taking risks for God and they're worried about failure, I'm not worried about their failure. Because if they're taking risks for God, they haven't failed. I don't care what the return is. I know that God will bless them and God will work it out. And that's what happened to me. And my conference president helped me. My teenage son, a few years ago, decided to test me on this matter. He wanted to build a cabin in Tennessee. He mapped it all out and made the plan for the cabin. He did a cost analysis. And after he sold his SUV to build his cabin, he said, Dad, I'm going to build the cabin. When he got out there, he was short $2,500 to build the cabin. Now, I think he knew it all along. He's a very good investor. He was going to build it anyway. That was a huge undertaking for Donald. Now, I think my son Donald knew that if he took the risk of getting this thing up halfway, Grandpa and Dad, with pressure from Grandma and Ma, would not let it go down. He sucked us into the venture. And we all ended up paying for the rest of the project. Did he take a risk? Sure he did. He put his money there and he did. But it was worth it, wasn't it, to us all. He doubled his investment because we bailed him out. Dear heart, if you're in over your head with God and you don't know how you're going to get through the woods, God will bail you out. He honors risk takers for his cause. And the only real risk in life is to do nothing and to give up. You will fail if you do that. Don't do that. If you cast your lot with Jesus and you come to the end of your rope, Christ is a lot more rope for you to hold on to. If you come to the end of your resources, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. If you come to the end of your life, he is the resurrection and the life. The only thing to fear in life is fear itself. And the fear of the Lord is the fear that overcomes fear because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Friend, when Jesus returns, that noble went into a far-off country to receive his kingdom. That's what he's doing right now. He's receiving his kingdom one name at a time in a pre-advent investigative judgment based on the victory of the cross of Christ. When he finally receives his kingdom and he returns, he will ask you the relevant question And it's really a two-sided question. Did you take that pound of purpose that I gave you and trust me enough to take a risk to invest it in the church, the cause to save the lost and the lives of others for my return? Did you do that? Or did you hide my pound in a nose cloth? Dear Lord, We have to repent here because where our treasure is, there our heart is. Lord, may we believe that a pound makes a big difference, that our lives are called for purpose, that we do, in fact, have that beautiful robe of Christ's righteousness, and that because of it, we're rich, not because we are rich, but because he is rich. Lord, in losing sight of ourselves, may we never forget that in Jesus, he is the treasure, the great pearl. He represents the gold of Hava the land, where in ancient times you danced with the Son of God at the dawn of time in the land of gold, the land of wisdom. Lord, we're not going to get off this planet unless we start planning to get off this planet. 
may we take to mind the lesson today that we are called for this cause. Thank you. Bless your people, Lord. May every family ponder this message and get on their knees and obey. And then, Father, when they get off their knees, reward the risk. In Jesus' name. Well, that will conclude our message today entitled Pounds of Purpose. Stay with me for just a few minutes and I'll give you details on how you can download your own personal copy of this broadcast. Well, as you probably know, survival is big business these days. People spend thousands of dollars on wilderness survival camps. They want to learn how to survive in light of unprecedented natural disasters, the potential of a nuclear attack or civil unrest. But how do you spiritually survive life's disasters? The new book entitled Ultimate Survival will give you practical steps on how you can survive spiritually. This is a great book and we'd love you to have it right now. It's titled Ultimate Survival. You'll discover keys to physical, mental, and spiritual survival you may not know existed. Call right now. 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4666. Seven three. Once again, that telephone number is 888-244-4673, 888-244-HOPE. If you've been inspired by this message and want to partner with us to further spread these messages and keep us broadcasting on the air, then we welcome your partnership. And you can give a donation of any amount. We thank you for your support. If you're in the Washington, D.C. area or passing through, we'd love to welcome you to our church family. Stop by Reaching Hearts International and join us for a worship service every Saturday at 11 o'clock or Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. The address for the church is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. If you're wondering how to get a copy of today's broadcast, You can go to reachingyourheart.com and download a copy or listen right there in on-demand audio format. Again, the address for the website is reachingyourheart.com. Thanks for listening today. We hope you'll join us again next time for another Reaching Your Heart.